The first reading this morning is from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 32. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Thanks very much, Chris. Now, I should start by uh, making an apology to my wife. Uh, In the slideshow, I forgot to put our name on. So um, there we go. That's my fault. It's on me. Uh, Martin's 2009. Uh, There we go. Um, But um, today we're looking, as you may have gathered, by the everything done so far, by Steve and I dressing a little bit smarter than we normally do, uh, we're looking at the church as the bride of Christ. The church as the bride of Christ. And in that passage from Ephesians, uh, we heard Paul speak about how husbands ought to love their wives. And the way he helps husbands to do that is by saying, because the church is Christ's bride. And look how Jesus loved the church. And so from that, we can begin to glean, actually, what it might mean to be the church as a bride, now, before a wedding takes place, there have sort of been two things that have got to happen, don't there? That the first is that the couple have to kind of to meet to get to know each other, and the second is an engagement. Uh, and so I thought we'd just take a quick look at those two things to begin with, sort of getting to know each other. And, and I've got a few questions that you might ask a couple sort of on the sort of the pre-stuff about how well they know each other. Uh, these are some questions you could ask your, your husband or your wife, or even, to be honest, a, fa- a family member or a friend, just to see how well you know them. You might even want to use them uh, over lunch uh, later on. So when this person was a child, what did they want to be when they grew up? Could you answer that one? What did they want to be when they grew up? Uh, What country would they love to visit? What achievements are they most proud of? Uh, Outside of their job... Well, what's something they consider themselves to be naturally talented at, naturally gifted at? And then lastly, what what are they most disappointed about? And there's all sorts of questions you could ask, isn't there? Questions that you go on to kind of to show people how well you know each other. And you sort of hope that a married couple or an engaged couple might be able to answer those questions. They might know each other well enough to to say that. But these questions sort of boil down, don't they, saying, do you know this person well enough? So much so that you're happy to marry them. What about God, though? How well does he know us? 
Well, we know, don't we, obviously, that just like uh, sort of Plato here, he made the world. He made you and me. He made us. Uh, but, but more than that, actually, uh, we read in, in Luke's gospel, he didn't simply make us. He, he knows how many hairs we have on our head. It's a job that's getting easier for him with me. But he knows us so, so well. He knows all of the good things. He knows your great achievements. He knows like when you won that egg and spoon race in year four. No, only don't worry. It's only, oh dear, it's bouncing away. <laughs> good job it's not a real egg. That's a present from Tim Gage. There you go. Um, he knows all the good things you've done. Like winning an egg and spoon race, like like helping an old lady or old gent across the road, uh, like giving money to charity, whatever it might be. He knows all the good things. But he also knows the bad. The things that you'd just like to keep quiet. The the things that you, you just wish people wouldn't know about. He knows it all. Much more than those list of questions we said at the beginning. And he still says, I love you. Will you marry me? So God knows us. But, but then what about engagement? Now, traditionally in engagement, don't we, that, that we kind of give out a, a ring. This is a genuine article. Mrs. Martin's. Um, a ring. You get down on one knee and say, oh, will you marry me? What about others, though? Now, here's just a quick list. Of a, on the screens, you'll see a quick PowerPoint of a few uh, examples. Uh, here's somebody on a log flume saying, will you marry me? I'm not quite sure it's the best way of doing it, but, you know, there we go. Uh, again, this is a farmer uh, who did it in his farmer's fields. Uh, will you marry me? That's quite, yeah, you've got to be, I suppose, quite high to look at that one. Um, a Coca-Cola fan, um, will you marry me again? Lined up in those, and it's glass bottles, not plastic, so you know it's kind of a, a really good one. Um, and then, I don't know if you can see that, but they've taken the keyboards out on the, the key that says, will you marry me? That's a slightly, um, perhaps not one geeky word of doing it, dare I say it, um, going on. And there you go. Let me go back. Yeah, that's the wrong one. So that, there's a few examples. I don't know. I, I'm sure you've got your own favourites of what your own favourite engagement stories are. And you can look on the internet for even more weird and wacky ones. But, but what's God done? How has he engaged the church? What's his example? Well, we can work through the whole the Bible. We can start at the very beginning. God made the world. He made Adam and Eve. He made us to know him, to be in a relationship with him. God chose one man to, to bless the whole world, to bring to himself. But here's the most defining point that we can see. It's the cross. That's the moment we know how much God loves us. He knows the good and the bad, but he says, actually, I'm going to do something about it. And if you're with us on Good Friday... Uh, You'd have heard me speak about on the cross when Jesus died and uh, blood and water flowed from his side. He did that because, uh, as verse 25 tells us in our reading, Jesus came to wash us clean. Jesus came to do something about it. 
Now, why is this the engagement and not the wedding, though? Why is the cross the engagement? Well, because actually we know, don't we, that sadly, that we still do have those bad thoughts, those sad thoughts in our heads. The power of sin is gone, that the penalty of sin is gone, but the presence of sin is still with us. One day it will be gone. One day there will be a wedding when it's completely gone, completely. And we're united to Christ forever. But that's not yet. Just like an engagement means a wedding, the cross of Christ means that we can be guaranteed that there will be a wedding in heaven. Now, of course, this is where the illustration breaks down, isn't it? Because we know that, sadly, some engagements break up. That might be true for human marriages, but it is never true for the wedding to come. Because of the cross, we can guarantee of the wedding in the future. But more on that in a bit. So our second reading is from Revelation chapter 21, beginning at verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Thanks, Chris. That sort of $75 million cake, I don't think was actually used, was it, Stephen? So it was sort of made as an example. But there is a a world record for the most expensive wedding. Um, It's held by uh, this couple, uh, Vanish Mattel and Amit Bhatia. Uh, And their wedding just, I suppose, compared to the cake, it seems small, but their actual wedding costs £42.4 million. If you look at the Guinness World Records, they have the records. Now, there are some, perhaps, in, in ancient past that may have cost more, um, you kind of go back, but in terms of actual number, that is the, the amount it cost. You, you can imagine uh, what it would have been like uh, just for, for one wedding. But as Stephen said, that is nothing, nothing 
compare to the, to the wedding that, that lies ahead. That, that because of the cross, because of the engagement, because of the guarantee for the church, for the Christian, what lies ahead is amazing. Let me just read to you again some of those wonderful words from Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice at the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That is where the church is headed, to a wedding, to a place where there is no pain, no mourning, no crying, to the best wedding ever. So how does that story of the church being the bride of Christ, how, how does that impact us today? Uh, well, there are two things to remember. Uh, the first is that the bride is loved. And the second is that the bride is special. Now, I know when we talk about marriages, it can sometimes be hard uh, for some, particularly we, we start to framing our own experiences onto what that might look like. But at its very best, what, what words might we use to describe a, a human marriage? Here are some of my attempts. Chosen. Special. Beautiful, glowing, resplendent, cherished, joyous, comforted, secured, welcomed, valued, respected, safe, prioritized, loved. Well, if that's what we might say of a human marriage. What might we say uh, of Jesus and his church? Now, I've just forgotten something. Um, those same words apply. So Jesus says of his church, you are my chosen. You are special. You're beautiful. You're glowing. You're resplendent. You're cherished. Joyous. Comforted. Secure. Welcome. Valued. Respected. Secure, I can't get <laughs> Secure, again. Safe. Prioritized. Loved. All the ways that Christ feels about his church. 
And that's how he feels about each one. You are loved. Just let that sink in. However you're feeling today, however your circumstances are today, Christ, your bridegroom, delights in you, loves you. Know the bride is special. Loved, rather. But then secondly, know the bride is special. Now, we've all been across Amit's Batir, uh, this man, and I've got something in common with, with Amit. Uh, he is, in fact, the chairman of Queen's Park Rangers, uh, who happened to be uh, my football team. So let me just put this on. There we go. That's a, a nice little fit. Anyone can borrow this later if they want to. Um, now, I know we, we talk about football a lot, don't we? Lots of people, and there's sort of that discussion, and people saying, oh, they're rubbish, they're no good. But you wouldn't like it, do you, really? If you, if you really care about a football team, for example, you don't like it if people keep saying nasty things about them. All right, maybe it's not a football team. Maybe it's a, a band. Maybe it's a, a dancer in Strictly. Maybe it's a, a particular place that you love to go to. Maybe it's a food that you love. Whatever it is, something that you love, you just don't like it, do you? If people start bad-mouthing it, saying nasty things about it. Not in a jokey way, but in a really mean way. You get upset, don't you? Because things that you care about, things that you love, are important. And should be spoken of rightly. And if that's true of a football team, how much more is it true of a, a husband or a wife? Now, as Christians, we're the bride of Christ. If Jesus had a wallet, he would have our picture in his wallet. He cares about you and me. We're special to him. And so how do you think it makes him feel if we don't treat the church as special? It can be easy, can't it, to to complain and moan. But the church is God's bride. The church is God's bride. The church is special. We could say, look, oh, I wish the church was more like, like this or like that. But the church is... Jesus' bride. So make sure we speak about it in a way that, that shows that and is care, caring of that. It could be easy to, to take the church for granted and, and to think, oh, well, it's not that important, is it really? No, no, the church is God's bride. It is really special. It's amazing. It can be easy to be mean to other people, whether we mean to or not. But the church is God's bride. It is special. We need to be those that remember that and act like that through word and deeds. It's amazing, isn't it? The church is loved because of Jesus on the cross who died for us, who washed our sins, and one day is taking us to that wedding day. You are loved. Know that today. But then secondly, the church is special. So let's treat the church, treat each other just like the special bride we are.